You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Well, let's uh, turn to Genesis 28. And as you turn, Genesis 28 will we'll stand in honor of the reading of the scripture uh, this morning. Genesis 28. Uh, last time we were in our Genesis series two weeks ago, we were, we were watching Jacob deceive his father in order to get the blessing. And uh, those, those actions fragmented an already dysfunctional family. And uh, when Jacob, Jacob is forced to leave home, and as he leaves his family, they'll, they'll never be the same again. And uh, really, this is a mess of a chapter. This, what we come to is just, come, we're coming through the broken life part right here. And we get to Genesis 28, and I'd like to read what happens next. We'll begin reading in verse 1 for some context, then we'll, then we'll skip a few verses to get down to verse 10. Look at Genesis 28. It says in verse 1, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. So this is after the deception, and after Isaac knows that he deceived him. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And by the way, this is, this is Isaac's way, because Isaac knows that Jacob is now the heir. Jacob is for sure the one going to receive the blessing, uh, and so his line, it's very now important then for his line to remain pure. And he knows if Jacob marries a daughter of the land of Canaan who don't love and serve God, they're not, they're, they're, they're not followers of Jehovah, uh, they're pagans, they, they serve other idols, that that will, that will make the seed, the line, it will, it'll make it impure. So he says, you will not marry the daughters of Canaan. Verse 2, he says, arise, go to Padanaram. To the house of Bethuel, thy, fa- thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Understand, that line was the line that God had promised to bless. And so he's sending him basically back to where their extended family lives to find a wife there. Verse 3, and God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, and thou, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. Here's Isaac's finally blessing Jacob as he should have, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abram, Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Paddan Aram, unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now, it sounds like an easy trip, but understand, this is a long journey. He doesn't just go to the next village over. Look at verse 10. He's on his journey, verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Doesn't sound real comfortable, but verse 12, and he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it and behold, the Lord stood above it. And let me read that differently. And behold, the Lord 
Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon, whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee. I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now this is an interesting passage, and one that is unlike most texts in the scripture. This is a unique story. But what we learn is that this isn't just a dream. Jacob wasn't, he didn't just eat, you know, jalapenos before he went to bed and he's having a dream. This is, this is a literal vision of reality. And he gets a glimpse into something that's really happening and it changes him. And friends, that's true for us too. When we get a glimpse of God for who he really is compared to who we really are, it changes us. See, Jacob is on the run, but he discovers something true for all of us. And that is this. You may be running, but you can't outrun God. And in the wilderness where he least expects it, God reveals himself. And I'd like to pray and ask God to bless the reading and bless our time as we look at this the next few moments. Father, we need your help. And I pray that you'd help this truth to become reality. Help it to be concrete and real to us. And that you would help it to change us in a very real way today. Lord, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This story starts with a situation which I've already referred to some. But by the time we get to this chapter, Jacob has essentially lost everything. And he comes to this place in the wilderness with a hard pillow and a heavy heart. I thought about calling the text, the title of the sermon that, A Hard Pillow and a Heavy Heart. Because that's really all he has left. In Genesis 32, which I'll refer to this later as well, but in Genesis 32, by his own testimony, when he left his father, all he had was a staff. It was just him on this wilderness journey to leave his home, his choice to try to gain his brother's blessing uh, by pretending to be Esau had heavy consequences. I mean, Jacob wanted the blessing, and we looked at that last time, that who could blame him? The covenant given to Abraham included out-of-this-world promises. 
I mean, promises that, uh, of land given to them and riches and notoriety. But most importantly was a connection to the future Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. This was no small covenant. This, this inheritance, this blessing was a big deal. And Jacob had already been promised the blessing. God from the very beginning said, I will give the, the blessing to the younger brother. The elder shall serve the younger. So God had already intended to give it to Jacob. And if Jacob had simply backed off and said, God, this, I'll let you do this. You promised to make this happen. God would have made it happen. But instead, Jacob, who has a tendency to try to take matters into his own hands, Jacob tries to do it himself, and he tries to, to make it happen by manipulating his brother with a bowl of beans and by deceiving his father to pretending to be his brother, Esau. And when they find out that he deceived, then it tore the family apart. Isaac is distraught, Rebekah's heartbroken, and Esau's so mad he wants to kill Jacob. So his mother says, okay, Jacob, your brother, he's angry. He's upset. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to our family up north for a few days. Just, you'll just be there a little bit of time. And when your brother cools down, you can come back and then things will get back to normal. It's simple, right? Now, by, by the way, unfortunately, this dragged on about like our getting back to normal from COVID has dragged on. Because a few days turned into 20 years. Say, Pastor, please don't say this is a 20-year ordeal. It already feels like 20 years, okay? We're past it. So here he is, Jacob, a couple of days into a 500-mile journey. He's going from Beersheba down in, in modern-day Israel up north to Haran, which is modern-day Turkey. It's a 500-mile journey through the wilderness by himself. He's all alone in a wilderness. He's headed to a place he's never been. He's lonely and he's discouraged. And think about this. God had selected him to receive the blessing. He was in line for the promises. The land of Canaan, all of it, was going to be his. But because he attempts to live life without God, it led him to leave his own land. This is the land that would someday be all his. And he's walking away from his own property, his own land. And listen, that's what sin does. It leaves us lonely and it cuts us off and it makes us full of regret. It leads us into a spiritual wilderness. That's life without God. And it happens every time. You can't attempt life without God and think you'll be the one that's okay. No, every single time it always ends up in a mess. But we're about to learn, though, that the Lord doesn't abandon us in our messes because there's a rough situation but then we have a revelation see God reveals himself in an incredible display of power and grace Jacob gets a glimpse of God in a dream and I just want to point this out as far as we know God had never revealed himself to Jacob before this we're not told that Jacob was a man like Abraham who set up altars. We're not told that God had come to Jacob and made him the covenant and confirmed it. No, as far as we know, this is the first time that God comes to Jacob. It's at this moment in his life. And I just want to point out that God doesn't come to Jacob after a great victory. God doesn't come to Jacob when things are looking good. God doesn't come to Jacob when he's just done something really noble. No, God comes to Jacob at his lowest point. God comes to Jacob when things look hopeless. 
God comes to Jacob when, when it's, he's at the end of himself. And I just want to point out that that's very often when God comes to us too. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that God, God whispers in it. Let's see, he said, I, I don't want to get this wrong. God whispers to us in our pleasure. And he shouts to us in our pain. You know, when things are going good, the presence of God is there like a whisper. But listen, I'm telling you, when, when you're at the bottom, when you're at your lowest point, God has not abandoned you. He comes shouting to Jacob. In verse 12, we see as he dreamed. And behold, it says, look at it. Behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the, the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Jacob sees a ladder reaching all the way from earth to heaven. This ladder with angels ascending and descending. And the Hebrew word salam for ladder can also mean stairway. So the idea, idea is that this was a place where heaven touched earth. Meaning this is a place where there was access to God. Earth, humans, sinful men had access to God right here. And it's often at our lowest points that God is most accessible. Because when we're full of ourselves and we're full of pride, we don't have a reason to seek God. We're full of dependence on ourselves and self-sufficiency. But when you're at the bottom and you're at your lowest point, that's when you start looking up. And it's at this place that God says, no, I've got a ladder here, a stairway, letting Jacob know there's access to me. The first part of the vision is that there's access. That, and you know, the same is still true today. Jesus said, I'm the way. Jesus is the door to heaven. And we think there's no access to God, but Jesus is the door to heaven. And he is the way. And, and not for the righteous, no, for sinners. It's a sinner that can get that walks through that door into heaven. It's a sinner that says that's the way to heaven. It's not the righteous that finds it in themselves. It's those that are full of sin. Those that are at the lowest points. And God says, I will give you access to myself through my son, Jesus Christ. And listen, if you've come this morning and you're at your lowest point and you're a sinner with no hope, let me just tell you this. Jesus came for somebody just like you. That door is open for somebody just like you. It's available. So the first part of the vision is a ladder. The second part of the vision is angels. And this part is, I mean, it's hard to know exactly all of this, what this means or what it was like. But verse 12 says they were ascending and descending on this ladder. There's spiritual activity. Listen, there's spiritual activity going on around us at all times. And we don't know about it. We don't see it. There, but there are times in scripture when the veil is dropped and a person sees the spiritual action that's usually out of sight. And I'm telling you, it's frightful. According to scripture, angels are God's continuous messengers and they are, they're there to help him communicate and rescue saints and guard the, the vulnerable and protect God's servants. The Lord's angelic messengers are constantly working beyond our physical sight. And that's not meant to be creepy. It's not to be, to, meant to be weird. And that may be outside of what we've heard or understood before. But just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. God is working behind the scenes and he has messengers that do his work. So you've got a ladder and you've got angels. But most importantly, the third part of the vision is the Lord. Jacob said, behold, the Lord stood above it. 
And, and that means that this dream is not about the, the ladder. And see, people say, well, this is the story about Jacob's ladder. No, this is a story about the Lord. This isn't a story about angels. This is a story about the Lord. The Lord stood above it, which this is about God. The, and the message that the Lord brings sounds very familiar because Jacob's in a situation and then God brings a revelation, but then he brings some confirmation as well. Look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Does that language sound familiar to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two other t men in Scripture God had come and given this promise to. The first one was who? Abraham. The second was his son who? Isaac. And for the first time, then God comes and says, It's true for you too, Jacob. He confirms his covenant. And the first part of the confirmation was that Jacob would receive the blessings that were promised to Abraham. Listen, if Jacob was wondering about the blessing, this confirms it. The Lord begins with a promise of the land. He says, listen, the same promise I gave to Abraham, I'm going to give to you. And it starts with the land. This land, he's, I love the way it sounds. The land whereon thou liest. Basically, the land that your head is, is laying on, that hard dirt. That land is the land I'm going to give you. So, and this is important for Jacob. Listen, this is important because Jacob's leaving that very land. He's leaving this land and he's wondering, don't you think he's wondering, I've blown it. I don't think God can keep his promises with me. I don't think God wants to still give me the land. Have you ever been there before where you made a mistake and you're like, I think it's over. Right. I, I think I can't go back. There's no way this is ever going to get fixed. And right when something comes out, you think it's over and it's never going to be the same again. But that's not how, not how God works. God says the promises I made to you are still intact. And I'll give you this land. I know you're leaving it, but I'm going to give you this land. And then the second part of the promise is about his seed. And that would have been a question in Jacob's mind. Because in order to have seed, it's talking about your family. Yeah. It's talking about children. And last time I checked, you know, Jacob hadn't seen a lot of marryable young women in the wilderness. There aren't a lot of eligible young ladies He's like, I've blown it. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to see God's promises come to me. And yet God comes in and says, no, the land is still yours. There's still going to be a seed. And there's going to be so much seed that it's going to spread to the north and the south and the east and the west. There will be seed. You, my promises are still intact. You don't have to worry about this. And he gives him confirmation. This is the same covenant I gave to Abraham all families of the earth are going to be blessed through your family. Can you imagine what that would have done for Jacob's spirit? The confidence that would have given him. God didn't cancel the blessing just because Jacob had tried to gain it the wrong way. And even though he was leaving Canaan, God was still going to give him the land and bless him with children. But it goes even further. And this is where we start to really get into the meat of it. Look what he says in verse 15. And behold... I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. I mean, think about that. Is there a greater promise than God's presence when you're at your lowest point? 
Uh, Listen, have you ever had a friend who you're in your lowest moment, you're in a hard moment, you've gone through some struggles, and you're in a place where, where you feel hopeless, and have you ever had somebody just show up and just stay with you? In your lowest moment, you had that friend that just came. And listen, they didn't tell you something big and doctrinal. They didn't give you all the reasons why, you know, four points and an illustration of why you should keep following God. No, they were just there. They were there in your darkest moments. And listen, I'm telling you, that's a blessing and it's a help. But, there, but there's an even greater blessing and help. And that is when we're in our darkest moments, the one person who never leaves us is God himself. He shows up. And the great thing about him showing up is when God shows up, he's the only one that can actually pick us up. And he's always there. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Brother Andrew Shirley taught this morning in men's prayer meeting at 745. Which, by the way, let me give you a plug for men's prayer meeting. At 745 on Sunday mornings, every man ought to come. And it's a blessing. We heard from him this morning. And he quoted that a couple of times. I'll never leave thee. I'll never forsake thee. God is there in the good times. And he's there in the bad times. He comes to Jacob and says, I, will, I am with thee. I will kill Keep thee, that means to watch or observe and to protect. God says, I'm taking upon myself to be your watchman. Your private security, if you will. You know, this is helpful because this, let me remind you, God had seen Jacob when he manipulated Esau. God was watching that. God had watched Jacob sell a bowl of beans to his brother to take his birthright. God had watched him and his mother scheme about a way to steal the blessing. God had watched him dress up in his brother's clothes and and put skins on his hands and his neck and walk into his father's room, his blind father, and, and trick his father into thinking he's Esau. God had watched all of it. God had heard every lie that he told his father. And you might think, okay, well then that God would abandon Jacob at this point. God's seen, all, seen him at his worst and God's done with him, but he doesn't. As a matter of fact, he comes to Jacob after his failure to remind him of his promises. And I'm just telling you, God has seen you at your worst. He has seen you at your failure. He's seen you at the, at the darkest and worst and lowest moments of your life. And he didn't bail out then and he's not going to bail out now. Jacob had severed every tie. He'd cut off every person. But at his lowest point, there's one person who showed up who could pick him up, the Lord God himself. And he says, I'm watching. I'm protecting. I'm with you. I'll keep my promises. I'm not leaving. I'm here till the very end. You know what God's saying? I'm not going anywhere. Get that. I'm not going anywhere. God doesn't say, now listen, God doesn't say your actions are no big deal. I don't care about your sin. It's okay. He doesn't say I'm okay with your deception. No, he's not. Uh, Jacob still has to deal with consequences. I mean, 20 years of consequences Jacob has to deal with. God, God is not okay with our sin. As a matter of fact, God hates sin, but he loves sinners. And he comes and he says, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, Jacob's a failure. 
through deception and self-interest and manipulation and and self-sufficiency, Jacob has blown it. And the consequences of his failure are separation and a brother that wants him dead and a journey through the wilderness alone. He's just carrying his staff and a few provisions. He's kicked out of the land that's rightfully his. I mean, there are still consequences. His family's in shambles. Everything he touched was broken. But God meets him at his lowest point and the Lord says, you may have failed me, but I won't fail you. You may have broken it, but I can fix it. You might be running, but I'm not going anywhere. Meaning you might be a runner, but you can't outrun me. And I'm going to say that again. You might be a runner, but you can't outrun me. I came around the corner right before the service. I always go checking out front just to see people coming in. And and Jonathan Wasson, I saw him kind of scoot around the corner and stand by the welcome center, you know, like he does. And I was like, what are you doing? He said, I'm running. I said, from who? He's like, from my sister. And I was like, good luck with that. She's going to catch you, I guarantee it. You know, sometimes we think we can outrun God, but he's not interested in, in letting us go. I, was, I remember one time I was, I was running around Boomer Lake in Stillwater, Oklahoma, which is where we went to run. Um, and it's about three miles around it. And so I went and I was running by myself and... And I got out of my car and started running. And I ran past a parking lot. And as I did, these two other ladies from our church, these sisters, they were coming onto the trail right behind me. And I know their pace. (laughs) And I know my pace. And I was like, oh, Lord, help me. I was like, should I pull a hamstring? Should I fake an injury? So I'm running, and they're behind me, and I feel, I, and they're like, hi, Brother Jed. You know, I'm, I, and I hear the pitter-patter of their feet, and I know they're catching up. And I'm like, this cannot happen. <laughs> so I picked up my pace, and I ran like a record race around <laughs> the lake that day because I was trying to outrun these people behind me. And, you know, it was miserable, and I was in pain. But you know, that's, that's a little bit how we are with God. And we're like, okay, he's catching up, but I don't, I'm just going to keep running. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more miserable than trying to outrun God. Amen. And you can do it all you want to, but you can't. And here's Jacob, and he's trying to outrun his problems, and he's trying to get away from them all. But he can't get away from God. Even in the wilderness, in the most unlikely of places, God is there. And God's message is, I'm not leaving. You can't outrun me. I'm not going anywhere. We think we can outrun him and stay ahead of him and avoid him. But wherever you go, God is there. And you might be running this morning, but he hasn't given up on you. He comes to Jacob and he renews the promises. He says, it's not over. My word is still valid. The promises I gave Abraham are yours. I will be with you. I will keep you. And one thing you can't break, you've broken everything else, but you can't break my promises. 
Think about it. Jacob broke everything, but he couldn't break God's promises because our failures don't affect God's faithfulness. Get that this morning. Your failure doesn't affect God's faithfulness. It doesn't affect God's willingness or desire to forgive you. God pursues sinners, and there's never been a runner God couldn't catch. And when Jacob realizes he can't outrun God, he displays a response that I think we could learn from. Because I think, I think Jacob starts to get it. I'm not saying he's perfect. He's got a lot of lessons to learn. But his response to this truth is so powerful. He does something tangible with his revelation. He applies it to his life. Look what he says in verse 16. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, you know, I love these Captain Obvious statements in scripture. Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. Well, yeah, obviously the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. I knew it not. And he was afraid. And he said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Listen, when you truly get a glimpse of God, it's humbling. And our natural response to God's revelation should be humility. Like in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah got a glimpse of the Lord, he said, woe is me. Jacob, it says, I'm afraid. The Lord is in this place and I'm afraid. And now understand, this isn't the kind of fear you feel before because you have a cruel master. That's not the kind of fear this is. No, this is the kind of fear you feel when you know you're in the presence of someone far greater than you. And you know he's far stronger and far greater and far more holy. Jacob gets a glimpse of God's power and his authority and his holiness. And I'm telling you, that's why we need God's word. Because as God reveals himself to us, our natural response is, wow, the difference between you and me is so vast. I am humbled that you would even take the time to reveal yourself to me, God. We need that. We need that humility and that reminder of who we are. I, that I can't believe, God, that you would, a God like you would even take the time to give me a glimpse of yourself. We've, we've grown far too accustomed, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be cruel about it, but we've grown far too accustomed to the thought of God. And for, and for me to stand here and say, uh, we serve a God that's all-powerful and holy and, and all-knowing, and he's everywhere all at once, and we can sit there and just, okay. I know there's more than that going on, but I'm just saying, some of us this morning, you heard that and it didn't register with you. We're far too accustomed to the thought of a holy, all-powerful, almighty God. I mean, it should, it should drop us to our knees when, we reveal, when he reveals himself to us through his word. It should cause us to think, okay, he's the creator and he's almighty and he's holy and he's not even in the same stratosphere as me, but he's also a God of mercy and he comes and meets the sinners where they are. That's what Jacob's saying. This is a gate to heaven and I'm afraid. Meaning God met me. Jacob's saying, God met me here. I'm a nobody in the middle of nowhere, but there's a ladder. There are angels, and above it all, there's the Lord. And he calls it Bethel, which means house of God. A place where God dwells, and God is, has given access to sinners. 
when Jacob realizes that this kind of God met with him and gave him a glimpse of who he is, I love what he does. These three responses are powerful. Listen, I think these are all things we should apply this morning. When you truly get a glimpse of God compared to you, your natural responses should be these. Number one, worship. Look what Jacob does in verse 18. And Jacob rose up early in the morning. I mean, for some of us, it would have to take a glimpse of God to get us up early. Okay, so and Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. Worship is the natural response to our understanding of who God is. Jacob wakes up and worships. He takes those pillows and he turns them into pillars, which some part of the country, that's what you call pillows. You call them pillars. So he takes his pillars and he builds a stack. He builds a pillar and it becomes an altar. It's a, it's a monument that God met him there and it points people to God. And if you've ever traveled in, or hiked in mountain areas, you know this is a thing now. That people take rocks and they stack rocks up on top of each other. It seems like if you're if in the mountains or in certain places, they do this. And for some, it's just, a, it's just something they do. For others, it's a ritual, like well-wishing. And, and that's fine, but, but that doesn't mean anything. But you see it in a lot of places. Well, for Jacob, he stacks these, pil- these pillows these, into a pillar to worship the one true God. And he recognizes this is the place where God meets men. It represented the stairway between earth and heaven. God can be reached right here. You know, Jacob didn't just acknowledge God's work in his life. He left a public marker. He was a worshiper, though. Are you a worshiper? And this isn't something real popular. You know, people don't really talk about worshiping. But do you make a regular habit of humbling yourself before the almighty God? Because we live in a country that has idolized individualism. Our greatest virtue is you be you. And you know, what you like and your truth, that's, that's all that matters. And we have put ourselves on the throne. Individuals are the most important. And it's good for us to be reminded that compared to God as an individual, I am very little. God is everything. So do you make it a habit of humbling yourself before the God who created you? And and not just how often do you go to church as a worshiper. No, because I believe that plenty of people attend church but don't worship. It's possible. You can see it on, on faces and you can tell by the way that people don't engage or don't sing. or And listen, attendance doesn't equal worship. On the flip side... There's no more natural place for you to worship God than with your church family. We're going to worship with all believers in heaven for the rest of eternity. And I think there's something off if a person who claims to be a believer doesn't prioritize worship at their local church. So be here and worship. And you say, well, why does worship matter? Listen, it matters because it reflects your exposure to God's revelation. Meaning, someone who that doesn't regularly take in the revelation of God likely doesn't worship either. Amen. Here's Jacob. God had never revealed himself, as far as we know, to Jacob before. And for the first time, Jacob gets a glimpse of God. And guess what he does? 
He worships. So listen, those two are connected. And if you're not in the habit of humbling yourself before God or worshiping your God, it is likely because you're not in the habit of exposing yourself to the revelation of God. Because the more you know about God and the more you learn about God, the humbler you become before God. Listen, if you hear about God every once in a while, that's one thing. But if you open up his revelation of himself and you get a glimpse of him for yourself and then you see his actions in your life, I'm telling you, you'll be compelled to worship. No one, listen, if this is real to you, no one's going to have to drag you to church. If this is real to you and you see God, you get a glimpse of him for who he is. No one's going to have to convince you to sing on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or Wednesday night. Uh, No one's going to have to guilt you into responding. When you acknowledge that a God like ours would meet a sinner like you and a sinner like me, the least we can do is worship. And so I'm asking this morning about worship. What does your worship say about your exposure to God's revelation? If it's been a while since you genuinely worshiped God, has it been a while since you genuinely had a revelation from God? Number two, what Jacob does is Jacob sacrificed. When you get a glimpse of God for who he is compared to who we are, you worship, but number two, you sacrifice. Look at, look at verse 18. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. Say, I didn't know Jacob was carrying 10W30 with him. That's No, this is likely olive oil. And he takes that olive oil and he pours it on top of the pillar. And listen, I just want you to think about this. That oil would have been basically priceless to Jacob. He had a staff. He had a few provisions. He probably had a little bit of oil to help him if he he was able to cook or do anything. He had a six-week, 500-mile journey ahead of him. That oil would have been valuable Olive oil would have been precious, but he sacrificed it by pouring it out to God. And what he did was consecrate that spot as holy. Because that's what oil does. Anointing oil, it says, this is a holy, this is sanctified, it's set apart. But it also pictured Jacob's new devotion to God. I mean, maybe for the first time, think about it. Maybe for the first time in his life, Jacob is sacrificing for God and expecting nothing in return. He's simply saying, no, God met with me. He came and he confirmed his promises to me. And I could use this oil. I really could. But right now, because I've gotten a glimpse of God, I'm going to pour it out before him as an offering, as a sacrifice. And yes, it's a sacrifice, but God is that good of a God. He's starting to get it. When you understand who God is through revelation, sacrificing for him won't be too much to ask. What what does Paul tell the Romans? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, when you get a glimpse of the mercies of God in your life and all the things that he's done that you don't deserve, that we don't deserve, that we were sinners destined for separation in hell forever, and yet he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins in our place, that's the mercy of God. And when I get a glimpse of his mercy, then the least I want to do is give him all of me. 
Oil is no big deal. It may be all I have, but I'm going to give it to God because he gave me everything. There's nothing that God can ask of us that's too much because he's given us everything. And Jacob says, I will gladly sacrifice because God, I, I blew it and I was in the wilderness and I had no hope and I had no way out except God showed up. And when we blow it and he forgives, we run, he pursues, when we fail, he's faithful, we lose, he loves. We have a father who's not going anywhere. The least we can do is sacrifice. And then his third response. I wish I could spend more time on all these, but. His third response was obedience. Worship, sacrifice, obedience. Look at verse 20. He makes a vow. Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way, that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I've set up set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. You start to see some commitment by Jacob. Now, some might misread this. And I believe that Jacob didn't do this in order to bargain with God. Some people read this and they think Jacob is like, God, okay, if you'll be with me. If you keep me safe and, and uh, if you give me bread. And if you bring me back in peace, I suppose I'll let you be my God. But if not, that's not what Jacob's saying here. No, he's just had a real encounter with God. No, and he's saying, no, he's saying, I'm attaching yourself, God. You're doing something for me. And I'm attaching myself to what you're doing. I'm on board, God. No, what he's saying is essentially, Lord, since you're with me and since you're going to keep me and since you've promised to give me bread and clothes and since you're going to bring me back in peace, you're my God. These stones represent your house and everything that I get. I'm going to give you 10%. This is real. See, Jacob, God was working in his life and he turned it into a public marker. And I think, you know, sometimes, depending on our background, we think that religion is a very private matter. And it is. Like, it, ha- it must be your choice. It must be your personal choice between you and God. Nobody can make you be a Christian. Nobody can make you do right. It must be personal. But listen, if it's personal, it will also be public. If it's real to you on the inside, it will be tangible to somebody else on the outside. This happened for Jacob. It was personal. There was nobody else around. But he built an altar because he wanted other people to know this is a place where God meets people. This is real, tangible work. God has done something real in my life. And the best thing I can do in return is to do something real for God. So he builds an altar and he makes a vow to give God 10%. And he says, you know what, God, whatever it is, I'm going to obey. God, I'm a mess-making failure, and I've blown it, and you showed up, and you met me in the wilderness. I don't deserve it. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm nobody, but you found me, and the least I can do is build an altar like my grandpa Abraham. The least I can do is give up something of value to me like oil, and the least I can do is give you 10% and make a vow that I'm yours. Listen, if God, listen, is God has ever done something real for you, what are you doing that's real for God? What does it look like? 
Because we call ourselves Christian and we, we say that we're followers, but how does that affect your life? I mean, Jacob returned God's mercy with an altar and oil and tithe, worship, sacrifice, obedience. What are you doing? What markers in your life point to God's work in your life? See, the truth is God has given us everything. Far beyond what we could ever deserve, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. He gives us daily provision. He he's, extends his grace and his mercy and forgiveness to us. He gives us godly friends, a good church family. He gives us a good spouse, teens. He's given you good parents that love God and love you. And what does he get in return from us? Well, too often it's not worship and sacrifice and obedience. Too often what we give to God in return is leftovers. We give him the afterthoughts. We give him lip service. I mean, he's given us everything. The least we could do is worship, sacrifice, and obey. But instead, I'm, I just I say I follow and don't really throughout the week. Or I, I, I get, I, I'm busy, my schedule is full, so I give him what is left. If I have time in the morning, I'll get up. But if I sleep in... No, a God has given us everything and forgiven us of all of our sins deserves more than a hand-me-down thanks. If you've ever failed in shame, listen, wake up. If you've ever failed in shame and your father met you where no one else could, it's even more shameful that you or I would worship him half-heartedly. And if you've ever been at the bottom with nowhere to look but up, And the Lord has extended his hand of grace. There's no sacrifice too great for him. If you've ever found yourself in the wilderness without a friend. God came along when nobody else cared. The least you could say is God whatever you want I'll obey. 10%. And that seems small for 100% God. If the Lord's ever done anything for you he deserves genuine worship unhindered sacrifice and unconditional obedience because when you fully grasp all that he's done his gracious provision in your life his gift of revelation through his word the broken pieces of your life he's put back together the mercy he shows when we're at our lowest points the grace that he extends even though we don't deserve it that kind of God deserves our very best in return our best worship, not leftovers. Our best sacrifice, not just what we're willing to give up. Our, our best obedience, not half-hearted. See, we may find ourselves in a wilderness, but God isn't going anywhere. And you may be a runner, but you can't outrun God. Knowing that, how's your worship? Is it real? Or have you been going through the motions? Knowing the kind of God he is and the kind of person I have been, how's your sacrifice? What are you willing, unwilling to give up for God? Knowing the kind of God that he is and the kind of person that we are, how's our obedience? Is there something he's asking that we're not willing to do? If you're struggling with any of these things, you know how to fix it. Let me give you the, the formula. Go into the wilderness. <laughs> not really, okay? 
turn everything off. Turn it all off. And open up God's word because this is how he reveals himself to us. And then just start to get a grasp of the kind of God he is. And the more that he reveals, the more you realize, boy, I don't even deserve for him to talk to me. And as you open your word, and remember, the phone is off and the TV's off, and maybe the lights are off, and you're under the stars, and you're looking up saying, okay, the kind of God that created those, he's talking to me through his word right now. And that's the kind of God that shows me mercy. And when I think about that, that I'm a sinner who deserves nothing, and he's a creator who deserves all worship and glory and praise, and yet he speaks to me. You know how to fix a heart that's kind of like not really worshiping or sacrificing or obeying? is get a glimpse of God again. And as you do, it reminds you of who you are in comparison. And I'm telling you, that, that recalibrates his people when we start to think we don't really need to worship or sacrifice or obey. You discover that a holy, almighty, merciful creator deserves your worship, but that incredible creator loved you enough to meet you where you were in sin broken, unfixable, and a God like that came and met you there. You can't outrun God. He still pursues no matter the mess. So today, it's time to stop, confess, worship, sacrifice, and obey. And then, you know, interestingly, God, Jacob was running away at that point. But I kind of get the idea from that point on. He wasn't running away from God. He was, he was going in God's direction. Amen. And some of us today need to stop trying to outrun God. We need to get on the same page and start going his direction. You know, I'm telling you, it's way better to run with God than away from God. Because who knows, I mean, for Jacob, he had a lot of great things in store for Jacob. But Jacob had to stop running and get a glimpse of who God was and who he was. So this morning, how's your worship How's your sacrifice? How's your obedience? Three good indicators of whether or not you're truly getting a glimpse of God's revelation in your life. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll have a verse of invitation. We call this an invitation because you have an opportunity to respond. And this morning, listen, if God has spoken to you, it's time to respond. If you get a glimpse of God, you won't see yourself the same. And maybe you need a fresh look at God. Maybe your worship's grown stale. I'm telling you, get a fresh look at God. Maybe your sacrifice has been harder. Get a fresh look at God again. Maybe your obedience has been back and forth. Okay, get a fresh look at God. It's time. You want to recalibrate your life? Get a glimpse of God. For those of you this morning who may not be saved, you've never received Christ as your Savior, I'm just telling you, this invitation's for you too. And if you will submit yourself to holy God, he'll change your life this morning. Come confess your sins. Acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Receive him as your, as your Savior. And you can be saved this morning. Just like Jacob, you can leave this place different than when you came. Father, have your will and way. We pray for the invitation that you would you do your work that only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen.
We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.